Hey, everybody. Good morning. Hi. Uh, my name is Adam. I serve on staff as the pastor of student ministries, which means I, I primarily work with junior high, senior high, and college-age students. Uh, if you're visiting here this morning, good morning. I'm glad that you're here. I think you're in the right place. Uh, our church is growing, which means I uh, don't know everyone anymore. Uh, and every time I learn a new name, I forget two or three people that I've known for a few years. So I apologize if you're in that category. Hey, for, uh, for some of us this morning, uh, Christmas time and this, this particular Christmas season uh, might be a difficult one. So if you're in that camp, uh, I think you're in the right place as well. Uh, if you're watching online or tuning in on our live stream, uh, thanks for, for checking us out. We hope to be together with you again soon. Hey, we are in the, the Advent season of our church calendar, and if uh, you're like me and you didn't grow up in sort of a traditional church context, you might not know what Advent means. We don't commonly use it in our vernacular, but uh, Advent comes from a Latin term, Adventus, which comes from a Greek word, parousia, in Scripture, which is used uh, to talk about coming or arrival, something's arrival. So uh, when we celebrate the Advent season on our calendar, we're talking about uh, primarily the arrival, the expectant awaiting that we have for Jesus. Uh, so we're right there. But we also sometimes talk about it in terms of the arrival of the Spirit of God into our hearts. And we also sometimes uh, look ahead to the arrival of Jesus again someday in the future. So that's, that's where the term Advent comes from. Uh, and here this morning, we, uh, we have a sort of theme throughout our Advent season, and as you can see, our theme is believe. Our theme is believe. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. I'm really excited to share uh, what I've been studying in God's Word and, 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 and go through that with you. Uh, but first, if I could kind of disclose something to you, I do not like our theme for this year. Well, at least I didn't at first. When Matt told me, we're going to do uh, a theme on believe, I, I, was, I sort of just rolled my eyes. And uh, here's why. The word believe means next to nothing to me. Some of you are scoffing at me, but there's a couple people. It's true for you, too. We, uh, what does believe even mean? Um, you might remember uh, the book, The Polar Express, uh, you might have seen the movie. I liked the book. The movie kind of freaked me out. Tom Hanks was kind of scary to me. Uh, but in it, there's a, there's a song called Believe. And so what I'm going to do uh, as we kind of dive in this morning is I'm going to sing to you. <clears throat> These are the words of the immortal bard, uh, Josh Groban. <clears throat> Got my water. Children sleeping, snow is softly falling, dreams are calling like bells in the distance. We were dreamers. Somebody's filming. Stop it. <laughs> Not so long. When it seemed the magic slipped away, we find it all again on Christmas Day. Believe in what your heart is saying. Hear the melody that's playing. 
There's no time to waste. There's so much to celebrate. This is the best part, ready? Believe in what you feel inside and give your dreams the wings to fly. No one's applauding, I don't know why. <laughs> you have everything you need if you just Now, I like, thank you, thank you. Now, I like Josh Groban as much as the next middle-aged woman, but, <laughs> but it's not really just his fault, and it's not Christmas's fault, okay? I have more. I'm not going to sing all these ones, though. Do you believe in life after love? I can feel something inside me say, I really don't think you're strong enough, no. Or maybe if you're, that's Cher, by the way. Maybe if you're in a younger crowd, Imagine Dragons has one right now called Believer. Ready? Pain. You made me a, you made me a believer, believer. Pain, you break me down and build me up, believer, believer. Pain, oh, let the bullets fly, oh, let them rain. My life, my love, my drive, it came from pain. You made me a believer, believer. We almost sang this one this morning for worship, but. <laughs> oh, this one's good. This was a monkey song, but really the only good one is the Smash Mouth version. I thought love was only true in fairy tales, meant for someone else, but not for me. Love was out to get me, that's the way it seemed. Disappointment haunted all my dreams. Then, I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Not a trace of doubt in my mind. I'm in love. I'm a believer. And then, of course, we were all uh, told, don't stop believing. You know, don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. Streetlights. People. Oh. Uh, what, what some of these songs tell me is uh, believe can mean a lot of different things, or it can mean nothing at all. Give your heart the wings to fly. I don't, I don't really know how to apply that to my life. Sometimes I found myself frustrated at the church because another Christmas comes around and we kind of lean into this fluffy, meaningless mess. And as long as we wear our Sunday sweater and sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve, then we've kind of checked off our believe box for the year. But it's not, it's not necessarily a uniquely Christian problem, is it? Uh, and I don't just mean that, uh, you know, we need to remember the reason for the season, because we also hear that all the time. And I, I think sometimes that can be really wishy-washy as well. What I'm trying to ask is, what does it mean to believe in anything? Uh, and I started thinking about this series, and I think what we're doing is we're looking at examples of people who get it. People who have belief, a real and true and, and tangible belief, because if they have it, maybe we can have it. If they have it, maybe we can learn something from them. One of those people is, is Joseph, the father of Jesus. Not the guy with the colorful coat, that's a different Joseph. Uh, but Joseph, the father of Jesus. This is what God's word says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. 
Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to, G- uh, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And this is what Jordan referenced this morning. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. As we look at Joseph's story, I'm curious, what, what is it that happened in him and to him, and what, did it, what is it that he had to do? Uh, what are the components of belief at work in Joseph's life. And here's what I think they are. We have three components of belief that we're going to study this morning. So if you'd like to take notes, you can split your, your paper into three sections. The first is receive. Receive is the first component of belief. The second is respond. Respond is the second one. And third is react. Receive, respond, react. Let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for uh, the examples that we were able to study this month uh, in our series of people who get it. Lord, I pray that you would make us people who get it, who understand, who don't uh, miss what it means to believe. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to study your word, to hear it, to respond to it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, receive. If you're unfamiliar with this book, uh, it's very unique. This, is, this Bible is comprised of 66 smaller books, and some are lengthy narratives of history, some are uh, bits of poetry, some are letters. Uh, the Old Testament is kind of the first half, and broadly speaking, uh, it, it sets the stage for, for something. It's generally uh, about how God has created all things and how God is good and morally excellent, and right, and righteous, and pure. But humanity decides that they're going to turn away from God, and humanity is infected with this thing called sin. And not only does it hurt us, but it affects our relationship with God to the point where it is broken, and we are separated from God because a good and holy and perfect and pure God doesn't participate with sin. And now there's this divide that we cannot cross. No matter how good we try to be or how generous we try to be or how much we even go to church. And much of the Old Testament is simply a case study on sin. It is God's relationship to a special chosen people, the nation of Israel, and how sin affects that relationship, with jo- uh, which Jordan also shared this morning. But then the New Testament is where God takes care of the problem in the person of Jesus. The first couple uh, books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are uh, called the Gospels. They are accounts of Jesus' life. And the first three of those, Matthew, Mark, Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. The word synoptic uh, means to see together. 
sin, and optic. They share the same story with different emphases and, and different perspectives. So, uh, for example, if I asked uh, Jacob and um, Alyssa Dollinger to share with me um, the story of how they met and, and got engaged and started dating and then got married, uh, if I had them each in their own separate room, they might share that story very differently, uh, which I've heard, you know, oh, he was... Uh, you know, you, you might get a guy, not necessarily Jacob, but you might get a guy in a room and he'll be like, oh, I was a stud when I proposed. I had it all together and, you know, I really, uh, I did this for her and I did this for her. And we might ask the woman and, and, and she might say, oh, he was so clumsy uh, and he was really sweaty and awkward, but it was so sweet. And though they have kind of different perspectives, I have a more full story of what their relationship might be like. And similarly, Matthew, Mark, and Luke do the same thing. In Matthew's case, he really tries to emphasize things to a Jewish audience. He uses a lot of Old Testament references. He mentions a lot of Jewish customs. Even if you begin the book of Matthew, he goes through the genealogy uh, that leads to Jesus through uh, Israel's history. So, when he begins this section with this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, he is saying something immensely important. Up until this point, God's chosen people have, had seen firsthand how sin separates us from God, individually, even as a, a nation. And up to this point, there had been a, a cycle of sin leading to separation, but there were a smattering of promises here and there from God. There was this prophecy. And don't, don't balk at the word prophecy. I know it sounds kind of fantastical, but we could say promise. There's this promise that God would send a Messiah or a Savior to rescue the people of Israel, to restore that broken relationship. And not just for them, but for the world and fix humanity's relationship with their creator. What we just sang in that song was, the world waits for a miracle. There was a, a hymn published by Charles Wesley. This was in 1745, and he says this, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Christ isn't a last name. It means anointed one. It's, it's what they used to do to announce a king in Israel's history. It means Messiah. It means Savior. So what he's doing is giving the account of the origin story of Jesus here in terms of his time on earth. Matthew can confidently say that we aren't waiting for the Messiah to come right now because he's come. My wife and I... Um, are millennials, so we shop online. And when I say we shop online, I mean we use Amazon. Um, you know, why go to the mall when I could, you know, shop from my couch or toilet? <laughs> uh, and um, I heard my wife scoff just now. <laughs> Uh, sometimes after we for just had, you know, had first gotten married, I wasn't used to another person in the house. So I would order something and wait for days and days for it to arrive. And after a week or two would pass, I'm like, where is this package? Uh, I one time called Amazon, uh, frustrated. I was mad. They're saying it's been delivered, but I know it's, it hasn't been. And so, you know, I'm demanding reparations for the emotional scarring they've caused me. And 
You know, finally, after hanging up, I'm, I'm frustrated. My eyes are teary uh, that I would be the victim of such an injustice. And my, my wife walks in the room and she says, what are you so upset about? I said, well, I ordered, I'd ordered these shoes and they haven't gotten here. And she says, I've, I got that package off of, the, off of the front porch a week ago. I unboxed it. I put your new shoes in the closet right next to the current shoes you're wearing, right next to the old shoes. I'd just been in a habit of grabbing the old shoes every day that I didn't, I didn't see them. So it would be foolish for me to remain upset at Amazon. It would be foolish for me to wait outside every day for the delivery truck looking for it. So I want to ask you, if, if, is there a chance that what you're looking for in your life has already come, has already showed up, has already been delivered? And it might seem kind of like a, a, a simple or silly illustration, but a lot of us recognize the problems of humanity and what it means to be human. That something is fundamentally sick in our souls. In the Old Testament, a, a prophet calls our hearts desperately sick. Who can understand it? And some of us, have gotten that far and are saying, well, someday I'll find something that fixes this in me and in, in humanity. And, and you're waiting for salvation to come someday. And you, you sit around in your old habits and you grab your old shoes waiting when it's right under your nose. Let's continue on. He says, uh, this is how Jesus Christ was born. This is his story. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Pastor Matt walked us through Mary last week. As I mentioned, Matthew is primarily writing to a Jewish audience. So some things that seem strange to us would have made more sense to his readers. The Jewish custom of marriage uh, is and was much different than ours. Uh, what would happen is um, generally marriages were arranged by families. Uh, her family and his family together would uh, decide, hey, this is a good match. Um, they would date a little, uh, court a little bit, uh, but not a ton. And when the time was right, uh, the man would propose uh, to the woman, just like we do, and he would sometimes offer a gift or, or a symbol. Uh, occasionally, it would be a ring. Uh, and then he would do something uh, like this. He would give a bride price to her family. Because that family would lose a working member of the household, he would sometimes make reparations for that. So he would gift cash or jewels or, or land or uh, service, even of himself sometimes. And this bride price acted as kind of a, a contract that meant the couple was, uh, had entered into part one of marriage, part one of a marriage arrangement, which is why in your text it might say that uh, they were betrothed, why your text might also say that Mary was Joseph's wife, and why your text might also say, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So if the, the chronology seems not to add up, that's why. There's uh, multiple parts to a marriage arrangement in their custom. And for the next year or so, the man and woman would not see each other except kind of from a distance. Everyone in town would know that they were engaged, but she would go back to her parents' house and she would uh, make herself ready for her groom, uh, and they would plan a, kind of a celebration ceremony. Meanwhile, the husband or the man would go back to his parents' house and build an addition onto their home, sort of a honeymoon suite. I was just talking to my sister and brother-in-law, and 
she was saying, you should build me an addition onto our house. And he said something like, I, if we do the Jewish custom, I can go to my parents' house and build an addition for you there. How would you like that? And only when the father of the man decided that the house was ready could the groom go and get his bride. So the groom worked and worked and worked, and the bride waited and waited. So they had to work hard and be ready at any moment. And it is during this year of separation that Mary becomes pregnant. Uh, so it, it makes sense why Joseph might want a divorce. They hadn't been together yet. They hadn't slept together yet. Their engagement was not complete. And so the only options, are, at least from the perspective of everyone else in the town, is that Joseph and Mary had been sneaking off uh, or that Mary had had an affair. And Joseph knew that he hadn't been with Mary, so of course he would have thought that the second option was what happened. And it says, but Joseph is a just man and in kindness thinks to end things quietly. And then this is what happens. An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and explains what is about to happen. He reminds him of his, of his lineage, that he's, he's from, the, from David's lineage. And the Old Testament talks about the Messiah coming from the line of David. He tells him he shouldn't be afraid to marry her, that Mary is going to be the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, that Mary isn't the only one to find favor with God. And Joseph has an opportunity in front of him as, as well. And what I, what I find interesting about this story is this is the style of revelation that God gives to Mary is much different than the style of revelation that he gives to Joseph. Did you notice that? Mary knows who she has or has not been with, uh, and God speaks to her directly, whereas Joseph doesn't know. He has to take Mary's word for it, and God speaks to him in a dream. Do you catch that? Mary's the only person who knows for sure that she is a virgin. Joseph just has to take her word for it. In some ways, it seems as if Joseph requires more faith to believe than Mary. It looks like there's another degree of separation for his revelation. So I'll say this, husbands, if you've ever felt like your spiritual convictions are a little fuzzier and less concrete than your wives, you might be in good company, which I would uh, surmise is the, probably the sake for many of the men in this room. And yet, it's an opportunity for the strength of Joseph's faith to show itself even more, to trust God, to listen to his wife. And God's different styles of revelation does not mean that he's not speaking. We have already received the word of God. In the past, God has used prophets and priests and kings and farm boys and donkeys to speak to people. And even now, God continues to use people in places and things to speak. But we're also on this side of the birth of Christ. So when Matthew shares with his audience, this is how it happened, he's also sharing with us, this is how it's happened. We have scripture to inform us about who God is and uh, our place in his world. And Joseph makes no excuse about how he heard from God compared to Mary. And here in this room, we cannot comfortably say that we have not heard God. Sometimes we like to think, well, I just haven't, I haven't received enough from God to, to, to prove his existence. We don't need a thunderbolt or skywriting or a near-death experience or a family tragedy to see what God has already declared to be true. 
And sometimes we sit around and we wait for that. And sometimes we've made excuses. Well, because I know God will always be there for me, I'll uh, go and find God later. He'll still be there. He'll be there later. Maybe we have that approach when we, when we went off to college. Well, God will be there when I'm done with these four years or so. Or maybe we just sit around and say, I'll, I'll hear from God again next Christmas, December 2020. What happens next? What happens next? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Joseph responds. Joseph hears the word of God and he responds to it. How many times have we in this room sat through a marriage or a funeral where the pastor has shared the gospel? How many Sunday services have we listened to? How many of those obnoxious heaven-hell billboards do we need to go by on the, on the highway? How many times do we brush off our Bible-thumping Christian friends? How many candlelight Christmas Eve service can we sit through and still go home and not give God a second thought? And I mean not to sound harsh, but the time has come to stop showing up for church for Christmas time or maybe Easter time and then giving no response because an encounter with God demands a response. An encounter with God demands a response. Joseph can't put this dream and this experience in his pocket and think about it next year because there's a baby on the way. When I was in, in school, I had a band director who was just vicious. He was just... He was vicious. If you've ever seen the movie Whiplash, he was kind of like that, all right? Uh, students hated him. I loved this guy, all right? Uh, and he loved me. Here's why. He was so intimidating that when he asked a student to, to play a part, uh, if they didn't know him, they might give it a go. Uh, and if they played it wrong, oh, he would belittle them and ridicule them, uh, and he, was, he would get mad. Uh, I played the tuba, and I only did it because my friends were doing it, so I did not care. Uh, he would say, like, hey, somebody play a, a B-flat scale, come on. And all the kids who, were, who wisened up would be too afraid to do anything. They would kind of just sit there and look down. And, of course, I'd give it a go. And uh, I know what you're wondering, what scale did I play? It wasn't a scale. It was just notes, whatever I could think of. Uh, he loved me because at least I responded to him. If you're in third grade and you write your crush a love letter, which you should, highly recommend that, uh, it needs to say at the bottom, do you like me back? Check yes or no. <laughs> when I proposed to my wife, I got down on one knee and I asked her to marry me. I opened up a box that had a ring in it and she, she stood there and just sort of like squealed <laughs> for a minute. Like she did this. <laughs> and I was on one knee and I said, I need an answer. Jesus is offering you a proposal and it's decision time, something, anything. Go home today and have a conversation with your spouse about God, anything to keep from getting in the car right after this and simply saying, all right, what's for lunch? We'll table the God talk for Christmas 2020. All throughout scripture, if you look anywhere in this book, people are called to respond to God. Abraham, go from this place into this far country that I, that I will show you. Moses, stretch out your hand. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Remember that one? When Jonah tried to get on a ship and go to Tarsus, which was the opposite direction. Even Jesus called his disciples and said, leave your boats, leave your nets, come with me. Now I want to say this, not everyone's going to give the right response. Even Jesus didn't have a 100% success rate here. 
Remember the story of the rich young ruler? A, a young man comes up to Jesus and he says, Hey, Jesus, all that, the Old Testament you know, law and all that stuff, I've, I've, I've followed that since I was a kid. I'm good. What else, what else you got for me? What else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, How about you go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me? And it says that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had great wealth. He missed it. When Joseph and Mary come to find a room at the inn, the innkeeper missed it. Joseph, uh, uh, Jonah almost missed it if he didn't get swallowed up by a big fish. And now Joseph is confronted with the option to divorce Mary or marry her and raise Jesus, and he responds, and he responds well. That's the respond piece, and now the react piece. And I know those words kind of uh, sound similar, but I like the fact that act is in react. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph has responded to the call of God, and he continues on with the marriage of Mary. Uh, In that Jewish wedding custom, what would happen next was once the the addition on the, the father's house was ready... The father would tell the son, go and get your bride. And so the son would gather his friends, his groomsmen, and they would actually go out first uh, through the town announcing, the groom is coming, the groom is coming, giving the, the, the woman a heads up. And finally, he would go and get her. And they would come back, uh, and the wife at this point would have uh, some sort of dowry for the husband or, or his family. Uh, and it would be a sort of ceremony and then, and then a party and the elders would be there and people would have dressed up and brought food. And then, then the couple would go into the honeymoon suite that had been built. How do you like this, right? And the groom's best friend would actually wait outside until the groom came out and told him that the marriage had been consummated. And then he would announce it to everyone that was in attendance. So that's weird. <laughs> I wonder how much of that would have been different for them. It says that Joseph married Mary, but they didn't consummate the marriage until she had given birth to Jesus. But at that time, they had already been married. They have already done part two. The prophecy or the promise was that Jesus would be born of a virgin, and that was kept intact. So the way that Joseph keeps his sex drive uh, quiet is pretty admirable. It could have come at the cost of Joseph and Mary's pride. Uh, That part of their lives is already pretty public. And yet, Joseph remains sacrificial in this way. If wading through the discussion of Mary's virginity wasn't enough, I wonder if there was any more embarrassments that continued on to this part of the ceremony. But what Joseph gets is this. Once we receive the word of God, Once we respond to the word of God, we must react accordingly. It's not enough to just hear the word. You have to heed it. Our lives must exhibit change and commitment. Joseph is willing to step out in faith and then endure a very difficult period of engagement, not to mention the fact that he's tasked with then raising the Messiah. Sometimes uh, when Emily and I go shopping... Uh, If I'm not paying attention and I'm looking at something in the aisle, she'll pick up like a glass vase or something like that and say, hey, Adam, and as soon as I turn around, she'll like fake throw it to me or she'll shove it in my hands or she'll pretend to drop it. And it freaks me out and she thinks it's funny. And uh, really, 
I, I don't want the responsibility of ever being handed anything expensive. All right? I don't, I don't like it. Uh, so I sweat a little bit, and I put it back on the shelf. I said, Emily, stop it. She's cracking up. Uh, Joseph accepts the responsibility of being the father of Jesus. He's a man that we should respect and admire for a variety of reasons, but for certain, Joseph exhibits belief. And if you stop and really think about it, every testimony of a Christian that you might know will have these components of belief in them. That they have received the word of God, that they have responded to it, and then that they react, hopefully, and live their lives according to that. So a question that I have for you is, do you really believe? In just a second, the, uh, the, the band is going to come out. Why don't you guys come out? They're hiding back there somewhere. Ha! Uh, in just a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to this. We don't do this a ton uh, at Mission View, but I'm so impressed with Joseph here that I think we can stop and think about whether or not we believe in our lives. Where is the holdup for us? Do we believe that maybe God hasn't spoken to us or God hasn't spoken to us enough? Maybe we understand that God has spoken to us, but we've never stepped out in faith and responded to that call. Or maybe we have confessed to be a believer, but we don't react and live our lives accordingly. I want us to consider, do we really believe? I had two objectives this morning. First, I I hope to express to some of us uh, who are visiting that we can't wait until next Christmas or the next Advent season. God is speaking now. Uh, I want to catch some of the people in this room who maybe show up on, on Christmas and Easter and check off our believe box. God is speaking to us now. Second, if you, if you are a believer and you, you've uh, professed to have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, we need to live our lives in such a way that belief manifests itself in our actions, that we react and live according to the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, we're going to sing a song called Oh, come to the altar. But uh, before we do that, let me pray. God, you are good and you love us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to react, to respond. The core message of the gospel is this, that you have sent your son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death, as a perfect sacrifice in order to perfect some very imperfect people, and that is us. God, we want our relationship with you restored. We can't be good enough. We can't earn our way back to you. We can't be good enough parents or employees or be generous enough, but we can only put our saving faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that we are sinners who need a Savior 
And then that person is Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.